I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here and uh, have the privilege of sharing the message with you today. Uh, also want to welcome you, those of you that are joining us online, uh, whether you're joining us on the website or Facebook Live, we're uh, thankful to have you tune in with us as well. If you would do us a favor, even if you're in the service today, we'd love it if you uh, would take a moment to share that Facebook Live link for us on Facebook. That would be awesome. Uh, next week, as uh, Pastor Steve said, uh, Pastor Jeff will be back in the pulpit starting next week, a new sermon series called Advent that you don't want to miss. It's going to be a great series as we go into the holiday season, so we're excited about that. And uh, today we have uh, just a, a little bit of a, a treat for you, something a little bit different. Before the message today, we have two guests that are going to come up on stage, and I'll introduce them to you. I'll have them come up in just a moment, but uh, their names are Dave and Jen Kelly. They have three children. Their children aren't with them today, but they have three awesome kids as well, and uh, Dave and Jen Kelly are missionaries from Budapest, Hungary, and they're awesome people. They actually come from Element Church, and uh, they've been over in Budapest for several years now, and uh, they're, they're back home now for a home assignment, and then they'll be headed back out uh, to the mission field sometime next year probably. So uh, would you give a very warm Element Church welcome to Dave and Jen Kelly? As they uh, come up, let me, let me share with you about their ministry. These are some things that they shared with me that I, I want to uh, relay to you. Dave and Jen minister to third culture kids at the International Christian School of Budapest in Hungary, where they have three ministry goals. Their first goal is to support the missionaries who are on the field by providing kids, their kids, with a world-class education. Their second goal is to proclaim the gospel to students who attend the school from over 20 different nations and have not yet made professions of faith in Christ. And their third goal is to disciple the students who have already professed faith in Christ so that those students will become disciple makers themselves. That's awesome. And they're doing a good work. And uh, they're, they're friends of mine. And they, they come from Elements. So some of you know them, I'm sure. But uh, they, they, uh, they left before we did the church remodel. So they're kind of surprised and excited to see what's going on here. And uh, they also said that they, they, they watch the service online almost every week. So uh, they... but you know, the camera doesn't pan around to see everything that's going on. So uh, it's very exciting to have them here today. We're just going to take a moment to pray for you guys. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, so if you feel comfortable, uh, would you just outstretch your arm and we'll just uh, ask God to bless them, their family and their ministry. Father in heaven, uh, I am so thankful for Dave and Jen. I am so thankful, Lord, for their faithfulness to the call that you've placed on their life. Lord, we thank you for the great fruit that has already come out of their ministry. Uh, I know it's, it's so encouraging th to them to know that all their hard work, they can, uh, they can see it on the lives of these students that are committing their lives to you and are growing in you. So we give you praise for that, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to do great things through their ministry. I pray, Lord, that as they, uh, as they head back to Budapest in the, in the coming year, I pray that you would blow their minds by the work that you do in these students' hearts and lives. 
Lord, we also pray for your provision. Uh, Lord, as a, a missionary couple, they, they have financial needs and uh, all sorts of needs. So, Lord, we thank you for the provision you've already given them. And uh, we pray that you would continue to provide for all of their needs. Jesus, I thank you for their family, for their three awesome kids. Uh, pray that you would protect them and bless them as well in this journey. Jesus, we thank you so much for them. We commit them to you. We're so thankful for them. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you show your appreciation for Dave and Jen? Love you guys. Awesome. So... Uh, Dave and Jen, they're going to be here all day. They're going to be out in the lobby. They have a table set up out there and they would love to connect with you today. Uh, so I just encourage you to stop by, talk with them, hear about their ministry. And also if you are a part of a small group, uh, they, they would love to connect with a small group as many as they can and share a little bit more in depth about their ministry. So if you're part of a small group, really encourage you to, to connect with them and, uh, invite them to join your small group while they're, while they're able to, while they're back on their home assignment and that would be awesome. Have you ever had the feeling uh, of being lost because you forgot an important piece of information? Any, that happened to anybody? Like if you're from an older generation, you're probably thinking, absolutely, it happens every day. I'm not even sure what I'm doing right now. But, but don't worry. By the end of the message, you'll forget what I said altogether anyway. So it's a, I'm just kidding. I, I'm totally kidding. Well, that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, leaving the church here at, after, after a regular day here at the church, left the church. And, and uh, a lot of times I go to the gym on my way home and, and get a quick workout in before heading home for dinner. And it was kind of my regular routine that day. So I went to the gym, had my workout, all that was good. And, and then I went to the locker room to get cleaned up before heading home for dinner. And, uh, and I forgot something. I forgot the third number in the combination on my locker. Now, you might be thinking, well, why is it that big of a deal? Just call your wife or whatever and, and get it figured out. Well, uh, unfortunately, the time that I forgot it, I, all of my things were in my locker. Everything. Like the only thing that wasn't in my locker was me and a towel. So you can understand why I might have been freaking out inside at the moment. So I'm standing, I'm freaking out inside at the moment. And I tried like 10 different times. And I, oh, I always use the same lock. And I, I had no idea. I could not remember that third number. Never had happened, uh, never had happened to me before. And so I tried the lock like 10 times, couldn't figure it out. Finally just sat down and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have my phone. I can't call my wife. I'm going to ask, have to ask somebody for help or whatever. Finally, I remembered it. I, I tried it and it worked and I, I breathed a deep sigh of relief. I was so, so thankful that I could remember my locker combination eventually that day. I had every intention of walking out into public that day after my time at the gym, but unless I could remember my locker combo in private, there was nothing about me that was ready to walk out into public. What happens in private has a cataclysmic effect on what is seen in public. Maybe not right away, but eventually. 
And I, th- I think most of us would, would say that, that we, we desire as a church, we desire as Christian people, we, we want for as many people to come to know Jesus as possible. We want the church to grow, not just Element Church, but the church at large. We want lots and lots of people to come to know Jesus. We want revival to happen. But here's what I know about revival, and it's the big idea for the message today. It's this. Revival will always start in private before it becomes public. Most of the time, when we see revival in our day and age and down through history as well, we see the big, grand results in public. And we, we like that. We love that. And, and that's, that's awesome. But those big, grand results of revival will not happen in public unless they first happen in private. The main scripture today is Nehemiah chapter 9. Last week, if you were here, we, we talked about Nehemiah chapter 1, and we talked about the story of Nehemiah, and today we're going to skip ahead to a later point in the story. And let me give you just a, a quick recap today. Israel, the Jewish people, the people of God, Israel had been carried off into exile by the Babylonian empire. Later on, Persia came to power and God moved King Cyrus of Persia to allow the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and to restore worship. There were several groups that returned to Jerusalem and a man named Nehemiah was a part of one of the later groups that returned to Jerusalem and God used Nehemiah. We talked about this last week. God used Nehemiah to rebuild the broken down wall that was around Jerusalem to protect the city. And it was a a great and awesome thing. Physical restoration had happened. However, Physical restoration does not necessarily mean spiritual restoration. The people of God still needed to be spiritually restored. They were not in a right relationship with God. They needed to come back into alignment with God. They'd been dead in their sin. Restoration physically uh, has happened, but revival spiritually was needed. Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. If you stop by guest services in the lobby today, it'd be our honor to give you one today. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says this. On October 31st, the people dressed up and they went and got candy at other villages. Just kidding. That's not what it says, but it made me laugh that the translators translated this to the date, October 31st. Anyways, first one. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed up in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours. So you think church is long for one hour long here at Element for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord, their God. The rest of chapter nine is a prayer of the priests recounting the history of Israel. 
And it's a record of how God has provided for the Israelites all down through history and highlighting the disobedience of Israel. Then in chapter 10, we're not going to read it, but let me just highlight it for you. In chapter 10, we read about a covenant that these people of Israel make with the Lord. Through these two chapters, the Israelites make a commitment to walk in obedience with God and come back into relationship with God. The big question today is this, what will revival require of our private lives? What will revival require of our private lives? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm so, so glad that you're here today. And and really, I think that you've come on a perfect Week, Because I hope that you'll walk away from the message today with a clear understanding of what it means to become a Christian and to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Revival will always start in private before it becomes public. So what will revival require of our private lives? Number one is this. It will require a return to the scripture, a return to the scripture. Let's look back at the first part of verse three. Again, it says this. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God was read aloud to them. Now, if you study the history of Israel, I know all of you just get super excited about studying the history of Israel. If you study the history of Israel, one of the things that you'll notice is that after the reign of King David, there were five major revivals that took place in the southern kingdom of Judah in particular during the reigns of the kings of Israel. And in every single case... All of those revivals started with a return to the scripture. And here is no different in a spirit of sincerity that included a time of fasting and mourning over their past and current sin and disobedience. The people of God read the word of God corporately. They spent at least three hours reading the scripture. But what happened corporately also happened privately. This return to the word of God, it required study. It required sincerity. The study of the scripture revealed to them their sin. Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through the first part of verse 10. The apostle Paul says this, At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life And I died. When we read it and when we understand it, it shows us our sin. We're drawing close to the end of the calendar year. And uh, there's lots of things that happen at the end of the calendar year. But one of the things that happens, or at least one of the things that should happen, is that we usually look at our personal finances and we, we kind of take stock of, of what's happened. It's like we take a fresh look at our budget, right? And so that should happen for you, whether it does or not, I don't know. But it probably should happen for all of us. And Now, I, I fully admit that this is very weird of me, but I'm going to admit it anyway. I love budgets. Love it. 
absolutely love it. I know that's weird. I totally get it, but I love it. Is there anybody in the room that likes budgets like me? Yes. Yes. There's some weirdos out there just like me. I love it. Like I, and again, the, the staff here at the church, they make fun of me because I get excited about budget season for the church as well. It's like, it's like a game to me. And like a couple times a week, I pull up my spreadsheet and I look forward to it. I don't dream about it, but I do get excited. It's like a game. I look at the numbers and I see, okay, where can we cut, you know, where can we cut spending? What can we do here? What can we do there? Uh, where can we save more here? And, and uh, you know, part of it is uh, we think about as a family, we think about the dreams we have as a family. And so I like to think about and strategize how we can make that happen and how we can fund those dreams. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's super weird. I, I, I totally admit that. Now, my wife is not as excited about budget season as I am. I don't know what's wrong with her, but for some reason, she's not as excited as I am. So because of that, now, now she, she cares about, you know, where money gets spent and, and what, you know, she has this, the same goals that I have and we share those together. But as far as like looking at a spreadsheet, she doesn't get as excited about it as I do. Well, because of that reason, uh, and I, I learned this from my, my dad, but uh, we do it now as well. At the end of the year, we have a budget summit, and it's awesome. It is so exciting. So coming up next month sometime is going to be the Hazlet Budget 2016 in preparation for 2017. Can I get an amen? Who's excited? Yes. And we'll have snacks and popcorn and candy. Put the kids to bed early. Super, it sounds romantic, doesn't it? It's awesome. And then we'll look at our numbers in depth and, and all of that. Well, I'm, I'm being a little bit silly, but we actually, we actually do that because we found if we don't do that, then my wife will have no idea where we, where we spend money at all. So uh, we do that in order for her to, to have a voice and to, to really know what we're, what we're doing and what our goals are as a family financially. I'm not sure how you go about budgeting as a family in your life, but a budget is kind of like a measurement. If you take a hard look at your expenses and your uh, income and, and you reconcile those numbers with your budget and all that together, they, they tell you what you need to change, right? It's relatively simple. It's just a matter of us actually doing it. If we reconcile all those numbers, if we look at all that, it tells us what we need to change. We either need to cut spending or we can uh, add spending or, or, or whatever, and when it comes to the Israelite people, the, the biggest thing that, that we need to identify here with the Israelites is that they didn't just read the scripture. And it's, it's not that they were just sincere in their fasting and in their worship. What we should really connect with most is that they went to the word of God to discover the truth of God. They, they viewed God's word as a measurement that they, they measured their lives up against the truth of God. And they, they attempted to discover the truth of God. And then they, they asked the Lord sincerely, Lord, show us what is wrong in our lives. And they had a willingness to change those things. I, I want to give you three questions to process when you read the Bible on your own. Now, now, I'm making two assumptions. The first assumption I'm making is that you, that you actually read the Bible on your own. And I would encourage you, if, if you've never really uh, developed a practice of reading the Bible on your own, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start with uh, five minutes 
uh, half a chapter at a time or something like that. But start somewhere. The other assumption I'm making is that you, you read it slow enough and in a distraction-free environment as much as possible to where you can actually consider these three questions. Here, here they are. The first one is this. What do I learn about God? So when you read a chapter of the Bible, ask yourself that question. What do I learn about God? Second question, what do I learn about me? What do I learn about me? And then third question, one of the most important questions, what am I going to do about it this week? What am I going to do about it this week? If, if you begin to, to, to try to process those questions as you read the Bible on your own, I promise you it will transform your Bible reading. Revival will always start in private before it becomes public. So what will revival require of our private lives? There must first be a return to the scriptures. And number two is this. There must be the repentance of sin. Verses two and three again says this. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in the place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. If you skip down further into chapter 9, we'll see a glimpse into their repentant heart and attitude in verses 33 and 34. It says this, Every time you punished us, they were praying out to God here. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings in your commands and laws. I want to read to you uh, two notes from two different commentators on this point of repentance. Adam Clark says this, they acknowledged that they had been sinners against God all throughout all their generations, that their fathers had sinned and were punished, and that they, with this example before their eyes, had copied their father's offenses. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says this, if they are returning to God's word, they will lose their critical attitude and start confessing how much they have failed. But they will first confess their own sins. You and I are in no position to confess anything until we confess our own sins. If you don't feel you have any sins to confess, my friend, you need to come to the word of God. Next week is Thanksgiving. I can't believe that Thanksgiving is already upon us. I love it. I love the holiday season. Just about everything about it, I love it. I, I love the Christmas music. I love, or I, I, I should say, I like some of the Christmas movies. Some of the Christmas movies are as dumb as you can possibly get. I don't get it, but at any rate, there's some of them I like. I love the Christmas cookies and the, all the food and time with family and all that stuff. I love it. I, we decorate our house. I, I love all that stuff. And one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time is the classic Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Love it. Now, maybe you just lost respect for me. I don't know. But uh, my favorite character from Christmas Vacation is Cousin Eddie. Love Cousin Eddie. And I have a short clip I want to show for you. So check out this video. 
<laughs> That's something, ain't it? You pet him, Clark, on the belly, and he'll love you till the day you die. <laughs> I really shouldn't. My hands are all chapped. <laughs> we were gonna call, but Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. Yeah. You surprised? <laughs> surprised, Eddie? <laughs> if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> we have plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of towels. <laughs> Plenty of everything. Yeah, well, you're good. <laughs> so, when did you get the uh, tenement on wheels? Oh, that there, that, uh, that's an RV. Yeah, yeah. I barred it off a buddy of mine. He took my house, I took the RV. <laughs> it's a good looking vehicle, ain't it? Yeah, it's so nice parked in the driveway. Yeah, it sure does. But don't you go falling in love with it now, because we're taking it with us when we leave here next month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That makes me laugh every time. Now, do any, do any of you, uh, maybe you can say this without getting in trouble, do any of you have a family member that reminds you a little bit of Cousin Eddie? Anybody? Some of you? Yeah, yeah. Some of you can't say anything because they're sitting right next to you, maybe? I don't know. Now, uh, second question, is anybody brave enough to, to say, I think I might be the Cousin Eddie of my family? Anybody? couple of you, some of these, some of you guys are nudging each other. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. He, here's, here's what I, I know. Uh, Clark Griswold would do about anything to get away from his cousin, Eddie, mostly because he was a little bit crazy, actually a lot of bit crazy family dynamics and family heritage can be a very interesting thing. Now, all of us in the room today or, or watching online even, all of us have a very unique family heritage. Now, maybe that's a positive thing for you. Maybe, maybe that's a negative thing for you. In the Israelite culture, family heritage was a really, really, really big deal. So the very fact that they confessed their own sins and then that they confessed the sins of their ancestors is a big, big deal. They're making a big statement. They're making the statement, we are wrong. We are sinful. And not only that, but our parents and our ancestors, who we deeply respect, were living in disobedience. Here, here's the point I, I'm getting at. The repentance of sin that God is calling us to should be so complete that not even our own family heritage is off the table. Everything must be laid out on the table. Everything, every decision that we have made and every decision that our family has made, everything must be surrendered to the Lord and brought into alignment with the scriptures. And so if you have a negative family heritage of some kind, whatever it might be, let me just say to you that the good news is that you have an opportunity to create a new heritage. And you can do it in a way that is respectful. Revival will always start in private before it becomes public. So what will revival require of our private lives there must first be a return to the scriptures. Secondly, there must be the repentance of sin. And number three is this. There must be a renewal we sign. A renewal we sign. Verse 38 says this. This is the last verse of chapter 9. The people responded, in view of all this, 
We are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. Chapter 10 continues on with this account of the people of God making a commitment official and actually signing their names to the covenant. They were serious about it enough to put their name on it. And it's interesting that signing your name to something, it still has the the, the same amount of significance as it did back then. Like every time you do something important in life, like buy a house, you, you sign it. It has legal ramifications. It it speaks to our commitment. When we sign something, generally speaking, we are serious about it. A couple months ago, uh, I was up in Billings, Montana for some denominational meetings that were going on up there. And uh, in one of the sessions... Our, uh, one of our retired pastors from our denomination spoke at, at the conference there and spoke some words of wisdom to all of us younger pastors that were, that were there that day. And uh, uh, this particular guy, his name is Dr. Dale Erbley, amazing man of God. Uh, he's pastored several different churches throughout his ministry. And uh, he was actually our, our uh, superintendent for a while as well. So he's kind of in charge of uh, multiple churches at the same time. And uh, actually, nine years ago, when Element Church was getting started, he was our superintendent at the time. And so we have just, uh, just immense respect for this man. Awesome, awesome, great man of God. Well, he told a story to us about uh, earlier on in his ministry, he pastored a small church in a, in a rural community. And uh, at that small church, he'd been there for a little while, and, and there were some significant changes that needed to be made if that church was going to reach people for Jesus. And so he was all gung-ho about that and was making some of those changes. Well, uh, as, as you might suspect, anytime change happens, humans have a, a hard time with change. We just struggle with that sometimes. And so uh, this little church was no different, and they were really struggling with some of the changes that were, that were happening. And so on one particular Sunday, he received an anonymous note of criticism in the offering plate that week. Now, we've already received the offering today, so you can't put any anonymous notes of criticism in there today. But uh, at any rate, he received this anonymous note of criticism. And he, he got that and he mulled over it all week, prayed over it all week, and was concerned about it all week and asked the Lord, what, what do I do with this? How do I handle this? This isn't a healthy way to go about conflict management and resolution. And, and so he's trying to figure out how to handle that. And so the next Sunday, he got up in the pulpit, brought that anonymous letter with him. And, he, and this is what he told the congregation. He said, I received this anonymous note of criticism uh, in the offering plate last Sunday. And and let me tell you that if you do not care enough about your concern to bring it to me face to face, or at least put your name on it, then I don't care enough about it to read it or give it the time of day. And then he ripped it up, threw it away. And he said that was the last time he received an anonymous note in the offering bucket that day. What, what, the, the point that he was trying to communicate is that's not how we handle problems. It's not a good way to handle problems. So if, if you're serious about it, if you care enough about this concern, then come talk to me. At least put your name on it. At least it would carry some weight if you put your name on it. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we all sign our name on something today and kind of have a kumbaya, hoorah moment. I'm not suggesting that at all. The, the point is the level of commitment they had. It's the level of commitment they had to commit themselves to the plan of God and the will of God. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think more than a signature of your name, I think that that your commitment and my commitment to God is shown primarily by our actions. The repentance of sin shows your commitment to God. The way that you talk about your faith shows your commitment to God. The entertainment you engage in shows your commitment to God. Your involvement at church shows your commitment to God, your faithfulness to be generous with the resources God's blessed us with. It shows our commitment to God. The way that we live all throughout the week in every part of our life, our actions show our commitment to God. Revival will always start in private before it becomes public. So what will revival require of our private lives? Number one, there must be a return to the scriptures. Secondly, there must be a repentance of sin. And number three, there must be a renewal we sign. We must be committed to God's plan. Our vision as a church is to be a movement of people having such an impact that if we were gone, our communities would miss us. And and let me tell you, that vision, it does not happen one sermon at a time. It happens one changed life at a time. And it starts in me. And it starts in you The great church leader and revivalist of the second great awakening, Charles Finney, said this. A revival is not a miracle, but the conditions for revival must be met. You can draw a circle, get inside that circle and say, Lord, begin a revival in this circle. Man, I pray that we would have that same attitude and spirit. It was the spirit of Nehemiah. In that group there that day. It's not just Lord send revival. It's Lord begin a revival in my heart. Reveal to me what is not pleasing to you as David said. And help me to walk along the path of everlasting life. Let's pray. Father in heaven I'm so encouraged by your word. And thankful for your word today. I pray Lord that you would just uh, give us a fresh look at your truth and that you would reveal to us, Lord, if there's anything within us that is not pleasing to you. And I pray that you would, re- that, that you would begin a revival in our private lives and that we would have that right heart, uh, that, that we don't want to leave anything out on the table, uh, that you would challenge us and that you would help us to be fully committed to your will for our lives. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.